find your why, write it down, you know, put it on your computer, put it on post-it notes, put it on your mirror, uh, and just live towards that. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Jonathan Flores, who hosts a podcast called Run with Purpose. Now, you've probably already listened to his show, but he's a really interesting guy. And today he's going to be sitting on the other side of the mic to share all of his thoughts with us about specifically like intention setting for race plans, when those plans change, when your training schedule goes sideways, when there's some big change that you really didn't foresee about what to do in terms of reorganizing your thoughts and getting back on track. And that all comes from intention setting. So the big question is this, how are runners like us who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Jonathan, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm really glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. It's going to be a good conversation, I think. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, it's really great to have you here. I know it's, uh, it's interesting because you've got your own show, you're busy, you've got a lot going on. Um, and I would imagine that, you know, not just as a runner, but as someone who hosts a show and gets to have all these conversations with people, you have a lot of different viewpoints that you just don't normally get to share on your own show because you're trying to extract the information and the, the ideas out of those guests that you bring on your show. So yeah. You know, before we get into the specific questions about intention setting and recovery and all these other things, maybe you just give us a little bit of background about you personally and why you became so interested in running. Yeah, for sure. Well, grew up an athlete, like had, you know, played baseball, played sports and stuff like that, hated running. Like every single sport, it was just like, coach, what do you mean I got to run a mile? Like, get out of here. Like, that's going to take me like two days to do that. There's no way I can do that. But I uh, uh, grew up in South Florida. And when I graduated college, um, my now wife, uh, lived up here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So I was like, hey, let's, uh, let's move up to Ohio. Why not? And, and I moved in December, which is a horrible time to move to the Midwest. <laughs> um, so I was like, I need something to do. I need to figure out something to do. And after that first winter, come that second winter in 2009, I was like, all right, I need, I need to get outside. I need to do something. I'm like, let's pick up this running thing people are talking about. Apparently, it's the hot new trend. Let's start running. And uh, yeah, it kind of started from there. Decided to run my first 5K in 2010, got hooked, and then uh, within a year, ran every distance up to a marathon. Um, then from there, kind of, you know, went into the ultra scene. Someone was like, hey, it's only five more miles yeah. to do a 50K. Why don't you just do the five more miles? And then, yeah, we'll get into some of my other stuff later probably, but um, now, now on a journey to run a, a marathon or longer in all 50 states. Um, it's been a, a great experience traveling the country with my wife and, and our little dog, Bella. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. The Hangry, I'm rocking my own gear here. Uh, started a race series called the Hangry Race Series. We uh, support the hungry people, the, those living with hunger in our community. Um, we have a race every single year. Fingers crossed that we can actually have it this year. Oh, yeah. Sell gear and that sort of thing. Race like $20,000 in the last five years, which is really, really cool. And then 2018, I started a podcast uh, called Running Beer and BS. Um, it was me and a buddy and it was just, it was exactly that. It was us like, it, the idea was you were on a trail run with us talking and stuff and uh, that fell through and I felt like I had a lot more to say and here I am now, Run With Purpose. So thanks again for having me. I'm, I'm excited yeah. to talk. Yeah, no, I'm really, I mean, you have an interesting journey because you're doing a lot of different things, right? You don't just have a show, you're, you're actually doing some fundraising and you, you know, you're really documenting your journey, you know, to accomplish the 50 marathons in 50 different states. Uh, and, you know, that gives you a lot of different sort of projects. Um, so, you know, I know you also spend a lot of time in training. I know a lot of times I hear athletes say that they, uh, once they get to this high level of fitness, it's pretty easy to just churn out long distances. Like if you really get to marathon training and you don't kill yourself in your first marathon, you get through building that base and everything, it's kind of easy to sort of sustain it. I mean, it's not easy, but it's a lot easier than ramping easier, up every yeah. single time. Like, you know, when I was doing lots of Ironman races, um, the, the guys I trained with, most of them would do an Ironman like every couple of years. And I was doing anywhere from one to four a year, but I was really fit and it, but truthfully, it didn't take that much effort to maintain a high level of fitness. And yet, the guys that I thought were super strong during the races, like I would watch them every couple of years suffer on a like a heroic level to build their fitness to where they could you know go really fast at an Ironman but I was like 
man, that like seems like such a huge price to pay for that initial, you know, build up. And uh, I know with all the marathons you've done, you probably don't really have to suffer that much because you run a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so tell me about that. I mean, you know, what do you do in terms of your training to sort of keep that level of fitness and right now? Yeah, it's, it's funny you even bring that up now. It's because right now is a prime example of, you know, we're training for races, getting ready for a busy year, you know, being in the Midwest, we, you know, we don't really run winter races. So it's, you know, spring is really the, it's really the, the time to get after it. And all of a sudden everything's canceled. Yeah. Everything's yeah. canceled or postponed to the fall. And um, yeah, I mean, the way I've been doing races, um, doing multiple a year, I think I've, I've cranked out like seven or eight the last few years, mm-hmm. a different state every year. And it's one of those where you just, you kind of maintain that base. But I think to your point, it's, you know, I wasn't having, I wasn't having great races every single time I was getting races. I could get by. Like I tell people, I'm like, I can, I could run a marathon right now, but it's not going to be the best marathon I could run. And I think that you can have that aspect of once you build that, that base, like you said, you can kind of power through it, continue on and, and build upon it. And I think the, the way you build upon that would be the, the smart turn in things. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, it's an interesting thing of just being able to continue to do race after race and trying to improve and improving to me could mean multiple things. It could mean a faster time. It could just mean having more fun. Mm -hmm. There's been a few races that I've done where I was like, the whole point of this race is to give as many kids high fives as I can, you know, give people smiles, encourage somebody else. There's been a few races where uh, I've just shot my goals out the window because I saw someone struggling that needed help. And I said, you know what? this is going to take me 45 minutes longer than I needed to, but you know, this is this person's first marathon and I want them to have a friend in this. Um, we talk about it. There's local trail series here. And, and one of the guys always said, if you, if you don't meet someone new during the race, you're doing it all wrong. Right. And, and that's from like a, like a mid packer kind of attitude, mid pack, back, back kind of thing. It's like the whole idea is, is community. My whole reason for all of this is building community and meeting people and talking to people. And it's like, if I'm just going to blow by someone that I know is struggling, knowing that I've been in that exact same place. Right. I think that that's uh, that's poo poo on me, if you will. Yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I was, you know, while you were talking, I was just thinking about like, you know, how, you know, if you, if you abandon your goals to help someone, right. Like how meaningful that can be. And actually like, the worst experience I ever had, I mean, what was the most upsetting to me of all the races I've ever done was during an Ironman where it was, it was a brutally hard Ironman. They don't even do it anymore because they had like such a high DNF rate. But there was a, like, I basically, my, you know, they had this stuff on the course. I couldn't eat it. I got sick. I was throwing up literally every mile on the run. I was throwing up. It was terrible. And so I was completely wrecked. And then I spent, I don't know how many miles, but at least six, maybe 10 walking with this woman named Cheryl. And like her husband had been rescued on the swim, um, you know, and she was having a terrible day as well. And so we're walking together and we got, I mean, it was really close. You know, you have to be in before midnight or you're not a finisher. And uh, we had, I think like 16 minutes to midnight and we were on like just almost at the last mile and we were walking and I was like, Cheryl, we got to pick up the pace, you know, like this is, I mean, this is it. This is it. It's come on, we can do it. And she just kind of like, like somebody let the air out of her and she just like sat down on the curb and was like, Oh, Chris, just go on. And I was like, I almost started to cry. I was just like, Cheryl, get up. You can do it. You know, you can do it. And like to watch her give up, like literally like one mile out of, you know, 139 miles done and to give up when you could literally hear the finish line it, I swear, I almost started to cry. I just, I felt so bad for her, you know, and those are the really meaningful things that happen in these races, really. It's not, you know, the medals or any of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we all have tons of them, right? Um, but it doesn't mean anything. It's the interpersonal relationships and all that. And the mental part of it is what's so important because for Cheryl, for sure, I mean, I never knew her before that, but I'll bet you if she just had like a little bit more mental preparation for that event, she would have been able to pull out that last mile. I mean, she wasn't broken. She was just demoralized. And so, you know, so tell me about that. Like, I know one of the things that you really understand really well is about how the training process itself really prepares us mentally for something like a marathon. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I think the, 
mental aspect of races of any distance and you know i i talk about marathons because i'm what's a it's what i'm most familiar with but i tell people you know half marathons or even you know longer if you want to talk ultras or, or hundreds or ironmans and that sort of thing the mental aspect is is so much of it it really is i truly believe that anyone could finish a marathon mm-hmm. it may not be fast it, it may hurt a lot but you can do it you know and right. i think the the hardest part though is understanding when your body is saying I'm hurting it, but do you have that mental capacity to push on knowing that? No, it's, it's not really, it's just uncomfortable. Right. And that's kind of been my motto the last few years is getting comfortable with discomfort. And I think that kind of plays into the mental aspect of training because you in the race, you know, it's a, it's kind of a different beast because you're like, all right, I need to get this done. And in that case, it's like, yeah, I can see why you would almost break down if a lady had one mile left. And this is, this is how it ended for her. But when you're doing your training, it's easy to take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to be like, hey, I can cut a half a mile if I go this way. Like that half a mile is really not going to make a difference. And, and really for that specific single run, half a mile is not going to make a difference. But half a mile here, half a mile there, turns into a mile here, turns into a day off. Those kinds of things, if you don't set that discipline for yourself, yeah. all of a sudden, not only is the physical side going to be hindered, and you, know, you get to, to levels where we are where we can continuously pump out races or pump out distances. The physical aspect is not just going to go away. You know, you give us another two weeks, we can get back into it. We can get it done. But the mental aspect of like, no, you know, don't skip that run just because it was raining. And I say that as a person that literally today it was thunderstorms and I was like, I'm not running outside. Um, Cause I was like, it's raining. I'm not, I'm not getting wet today. I don't, I don't feel like getting wet, but it's those kind of things. Like when you're in the heart of training and things come up like that, if you need to keep your focus on, the end goal kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I have two aspects of that. It's like you want to keep your focus on the end goal, but you don't want to not be in the moment in the process. Right. Um, I talked about this on my show in an episode about goals where we can get focused so much on the end goal that we forget the process that it takes to get there. And then we have situations like we're facing right now. Yeah. I've been busting my ass to like get through to, to Boston um, with the fundraising, I, I was lucky enough to team BMC, the Boston Medical Center, and um, and I've been busting my butt to to try to get a PR there because I was like, you know what? If I didn't qualify for Boston, I want to make sure I give it the best possible race I can. So I'm gonna I'm gonna train hard, harder than I ever have before, and it's you know it's paying off. But now what? Now I don't have a race until August, right. and it's like if I focus specifically on that end goal of that PR. I would, you know, I'd be like that lady just blown, like steam would have been let out and they're like, now what? Now I'm just going to sit here on the couch. I'm going to do nothing. I'll wait until my training cycle starts back over. Mm -hmm. And instead I, you know, took the positives of, Hey, I've got more time now. So that's going to help me get faster. But also the things I've learned in this training cycle, I think your training cycle is just as important as the race or the accomplishment itself. Because you learn so much about yourself, about nutrition, about fitness, about how to deal with injuries, how to deal with all of these things. And it just continues to push you on. Um, We talk about, uh, with my friends, we have this saying of embrace the suck. You know, it's it's going to suck. It's inevitable. It is going to suck at some point in time in some way. But just embrace it. Because I think it's, it's all about that. If you can turn your mind and turn it into a positive, have that perspective of a positive experience, even in the suck, right. it's going to make that experience that much better when you do succeed. Because it's not an if you succeed. If you have your mind set on it, you will do things that you're, you did not realize your body could do. Yeah. That's key. I mean, it's the whole thing. It's also that perspective, right? Like, you know, and, and in that same race where I was talking about with Cheryl, like I had this, like what was probably my best, you know, moment from that thing I mean I was really wrecked and I was you know I was still running at this point but I was like I was literally like just I would double over and start puking about every mile or so and there was a huge group of spectators and the spectators there were totally awesome but I just like suddenly stopped and just started puking and like threw up all over my shoes and like this guy on the sidelines he was like are you okay and I was like I'm an Iron Man <laughs> and I started running again and they just like erupted in cheers, you know, cause they're like, all right, you know, that's just what it is. Yeah, that's Sometimes you have to, you know, just have to embrace that. Yeah. It's going to be really painful. All of it's not going to be really great. Um, you know, but again, it's like when you sign up for a race, you know, a marathon, whatever it is, an ultra, something you know is going to be hard. You expect it's going to be hard, but nobody really ever expects is that something like, the situation now where all these races across the country just get canceled. I mean, I've had a couple of races canceled for fires and, 
you know, other things. Um, but it's pretty rare, right, that a race doesn't go on. Um, but that's now like reality for most of us. So what about you? I mean, so you were training and you, how many races have you had canceled? Um, I've had three so far. It was only the three that I had signed up for. So yeah. it was Boston, uh, Fargo, North Dakota, and um, Vermont City in Vermont. Okay. So uh, how close together were you doing those races? Closer than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, so, yeah. that's what you do. But, uh, I mean, I, I've seen your map, right? Like the, you have a map, which if it's okay with you, we'll put a link to the map in oh, the show yeah, notes. Sure. But I know you have a map that shows like what race, you know, what, what states you've already done a marathon in. And I, I imagine you have to do that. You have to kind of group like, you know, a, a few states together, I would assume, right? Like, yeah. There's been a few times where I've had to do, um, well, I've had the opportunity rather than have to do, I've had the opportunity to do um, back to back. So I'll do um, states on Saturday and a state on Sunday. I, and that's what I was lucky enough to do um, earlier this year before all of this stuff actually happened. February 29th and March 1st, I was able oh, to do wow. Mississippi and Arkansas. And uh, literally we got back from there and, you know, it was looming around then like, hey, there might be some cases in the US, that sort of thing. And it wasn't... Um, obviously like it is now and yeah. with the widespread as it is, but it was definitely something that was looming because I was, um, I had signed up for the lottery for Tokyo and I remember being oh, in Mississippi wow. going, I'm going, Oh crap. I'm glad I didn't get into Tokyo because that would have been horrific to be like, spend all that money to have to go over to Tokyo and do all that. And then be like, Oh, now you can't race. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you never know. And it's really interesting, right? When all of this started, I was um, lecturing at a medical conference. I was speaking about running injuries and I get invited to speak at all these different conferences. And one of them they have on the calendar for January, 2021 is a four, I think it's a 14 or 21 day cruise around Southeast Asia. And I was <laughs> like, uh, I guess you guys wish you to pick something else for the calendar to try to pitch that thing right now. And she was like, Oh, it'll all be over in no time. And I'm like, mm, I don't really know. Not my area, but, uh, you in know, we will all be able to buy a cruise ship. Well, yeah, but you know, like right now, I'm not really sure if that's going to happen at all, even though that is a long way away. It's still to me, truthfully today, right now, it seems a little far fetched to believe that that's, you know, that conference on a cruise ship in Southeast Asia is going to really happen. Uh, but nobody would have thought that on that day. It seemed laughable at the time. So uh, I know that can be really disruptive, but you know, you have to really plan for every contingency, I guess, even a switch of races if you have to, you know, right. you, you know, it's not so easy, but fortunately there are lots of marathons, you know, lots of events. They, they're not all lottery things. You know, most of the time we can get into a marathon if we want to run one, um, you know, within any kind of, you know, a month window or something, you know, you can usually find a race somewhere on your calendar that works as long as everything's back to normal, but it takes a lot of work to get up to those races and to get the kind of marathon fitness that you've got, uh, obviously it's taken a lot of work, but particularly when you're doing the things you're doing, like when you're doing, you know, a back-to-back -back Saturday, Sunday marathon, then a marathon the next day in a different state, because you happen to be near that state, uh, you have to really make sure that you're maximizing your recovery. That's crucial, right? So the first thing I want to ask you about that in particular, I mean, I think you have to be intentional with sleep. Like I have an alarm on my phone that goes off uh, at night that says it's time to go to sleep because I get up really early. I mean, not early, probably you probably get up early too, but I get up at four. So, you know, four, four thirty, if five o'clock is kind of my late morning alarm. If I feel like I need to quote unquote sleep in, mm -hmm. it's five o'clock. And uh, so I have an alarm that tells me when to go to sleep because I can't necessarily be that intentional about how well I'm going to sleep on any night, but I can be intentional about when I'm going to go to sleep. And that's really, you know, the only thing I do around maximizing sleep. But what about you and your sleep strategy? Like, what do you think about sleep in terms of your recovery and what do you do to try to maximize it? Yeah, I mean, there's probably two trains of thought there. So I'll probably unpack each one since we talked about like the back-to-back -back races. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, usually when we have these races, we, we try to keep them as close together as possible. Um, every once in a while, about four or five hours drive will be the furthest that we go between the two. Um, my wife, uh, God bless her, she, she drives me between wow. these places uh, as we do this. So the rule is, is I don't drive the day before race day or on race day. Mm -hmm. uh, but then every other time I have to drive. So, you know, if it's a 17 hour drive from Texas, that's my job. She, she drove me uh, to Texas. Right. Um, 
But when we do the, the back-to-backs and it's, it's all about, you know, compression socks, tights, relaxing in the car, trying to get a quick nap in after I eat. But then knowing it's, you know, when we get to the hotel, it's eat dinner, relax, legs up, you know, stretch, whatever. And it's, it's get to bed at a certain time. And we, we try to play it where um, I try to get at least seven hours of sleep. Seven hours seems to be about my, my go-to any more than that. I'm a little groggy. Um, I can, I can deal with less than that. Usually my average is probably around six, six and a half. And that's kind of like my go-to, like I feel super strong there, but I'm with you with the setting alarm. I have a a thing that, um, says it's a good night thing on my phone. And basically when it hits, uh, about nine, nine 15, the light shut off in in my room, the alarm goes off, like things like, Hey, by the way, you know what time it is now? Let's wrap things up. Um, and, and go to bed. Um, one thing that I started at the beginning of the year and kind of gotten away from, and I really should get back to is I don't do, um, screens after 8 PM. Yeah. Um, trying to get away from TV, computer, phone. It's, I mean, as you know, it's, it's tough when you run a show or run multiple things to not be able to check email and do that sort of thing, but structuring my life in such a way that the, the times that I can do it are in the morning. So I probably wake up about five, four thirty-five every morning as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that consistency helps too with your rest where if you're doing this back and forth where, you know, one couple of days a week, you get up at five and then on the weekends you sleep in until nine, well, your body's not going to get on that cycle. And, and then when you go back to your Monday workout or your Tuesday workout, your body's going to be worn out because you didn't keep that like consistency, not saying you shouldn't never sleep in, but it's knowing if you have that consistent schedule, our bodies are, are crazy well-oiled machines that you know work off of consistent patterns if you train them in such a way they're going to be able to continue to perform in that but if you start mixing things up changing diets changing this doing it and always fluctuating and not just sticking with something um i'm really in any sense of the way it'll uh it'll definitely catch up to you so i mean i probably don't get as much sleep as i probably should um but it works for me yeah Oh, that makes sense. I mean, it's a good point. I did a, I don't know, it was months ago, I think, but I did a very short uh, episode on the podcast. It was really kind of a rant and it was just, it was actually called the best diet for runners is consistency. And, and what it was, was I had read this meta-analysis. I was, pre- I think I was preparing for a medical, you know, a lecture to medical professionals at a conference about running injuries. And I was talking about how running doesn't actually cause running injuries, our inability to recover you know, failures in nutritional status, all these things actually contribute to people getting running injuries and running is not the problem. It's, it's all these other things that doctors don't talk about. And, um, and I found this meta-analysis that basically compared all of these different diets and, you know, and compiled them all into one study. And basically the only thing that seemed to determine, you know, success with a particular diet, no matter which diet it was, was the participant's ability to actually stick to the diet. Well, that is yeah. not rocket science, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, if you pick a diet that seems like really great and it's really profound and really different from what you do, there's almost zero chance you're going to be able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's true with our training, right? If you, you know, find this one workout that you think sounds really just like it could build a ton amount of fitness, but you don't train regularly, you're never going to get strong. It's not possible, you know, and that's the whole thing is you got to, you got to be deliberate about recovery. You got to be dr- deliberate about your training and all that. And obviously you know how to do that. So, uh, you know, for you personally though, like, you know, as an athlete, as a runner, somebody's done all these different races and stuff. It, it, when you start thinking about what it took for you to go from not really being a true long distance runner to what clearly you by any measure are a true long distance, you know, runner now. Right. And when you talk to people about training and becoming somebody who can complete these long events like a marathon, what is your best single piece of advice regarding nutrition, you know, that's going to help people recover faster after all of those, you know, speed sessions and long runs, all the hard training efforts that we do, because if you don't recover, you're going to get an overtraining injury, right? So what's your best piece of advice on nutrition for these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think... It's, it's probably a, a very wide open thing, but you need to find what works for you. I, I don't think you need to, you don't need to read all these articles. You don't need to follow all these fads or do whatever it is. Find what works for you. And you know, that, that's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can't just, you can't just replicate something. We're all different. 
And if you just say, hey, because this person is a vegan, if I just become a vegan, everything's going to be perfectly fine and I'm going to be perfectly healthy just like they are. And it's like, well, you also don't realize that their job is to run and their job is to do this and that's where they're able to do this. Um, I, I talk out of both sides of my mouth there. I had a buddy that I have a friend that is a vegan due to allergy reasons and then a friend of his was training for his first 100 miler and was going to go vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, like, he's like, I like cheese too much. I'm not giving up my cheese. Yeah. So vegetarian it is. And he did, had, a, had a great training cycle, um, did the 100 miler, went perfect, exactly how he wanted it to. And I was like, hey, let's try this. I was in between races. I go, let's try this thing. And, and now it's been, I think it's just been just over a year. I'm actually doing like pescatarians. We eat fish maybe once every other week or so. Um, but it's basically a plant-based diet. And, and I don't, at first it was one of those where I felt like I was lacking something. My body was changing a little bit. I was getting headaches here and there and I had to adjust what I was eating, how much I was eating. Was I getting enough water? These kinds of things, but it worked for me. Right. And I say all of that of you got to find out what works for you. If you, if you try to jump on each fad or, or just read things and keep jumping around, you lose that consistency. Like we just talked about It's that consistency is what's going to make the difference. Now I don't, you know, if, and we kind of uh, slow played it into the vegetarian thing. Cause I didn't want my wife to have to make two meals every day and figure that thing. So first, first we cut out red meat. First it was pork. Then it was red meat. Then, then it was chicken. Mm-hmm. And you know, my wife still gets her steak when we go out to, to a steakhouse and stuff like that, but I'll just get seafood instead and it works. Um, but it was a slow progress because it's like, hey, I know if I jump, if I just jump all in and be like, nope, never have a meat again, th- my body would have freaked out. Right. And then I then because of that freak out now, if I would have kept at it, it may have been okay eventually, but I would have probably quit it before that time came. Yeah. And I think so. So two things is be consistent with it. Find what works for you. And I think those two things are going to be the, uh, the ideal thing from a nutrition standpoint, um, from other types of preventing injuries and stuff. I mean, stretching is definitely a big thing that I recommend stretching and foam rolling. Um, you know, I, I, I know there's not too much evidence behind all this stuff, but I use the, um, those float spas, those like sensory deprivation yep. tanks. Um, I have a, I'm a huge fan of those things like the week after a race or sometimes even the week before a race, just not, not even necessarily from like a massage. I'm not a big fan of like massages and people touching me. Um, but these things of just the idea where you're just floating and like, it's just, your mind is just like, all you hear is your thoughts and trying to quiet your mind. And it goes back to the intentionality and everything there is Mm -hmm. trying to just find purpose in in whatever I'm doing right now. And if I can just focus in on that moment and hone in on things, it just makes me feel better. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's really useful advice. It's, you know, and that really is it, right? You got to find what's going to work for you and you have to be consistent. And you know, it also, I think that gradual change is very helpful. Like I made some big shifts in my diet and I guess it's the same thing. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really think like how am I going to just like cut meat out of my diet because I know how I am. Like I, you know, I like to eat meat um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I don't really like change at all. Um, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I know even when it's necessary, like I don't like it. Um, but you know, I can get used to things gradually. And so I don't know where I got it, but I heard from somebody that, you know, instead of when you're making one of those kind of changes, instead of trying to remove things, try to add things. And if you, you know, that's what I did. I started out like literally making sure that I always had more fruits and vegetables available, uh, you know, not just in meals, but at snack times as well. And then, you know, and by default, I mean, let's face it, if you eat fruits and vegetables, whenever they're available, um, and you add those things very specifically to your meals, well, pretty soon something has to go. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that made it easier for me, but it's not really that easy to just start a new diet. And also truthfully, it's like, when you talk to all your friends, like, vegan paleo like what i mean there's like you know i mean one of my friends recently went on the all meat diet like literally only meat and i was like i don't think i'm gonna do that you know um but it's one of these things that ever you know you hear it seems like a good idea it sounds like a good idea you hear somebody make some huge change in a short period of time and then we want to try it but consistently definitely pays off yeah for sure so uh you know when you think about all of your recovery obviously if you're gonna do a marathon in 50 states, you're gonna to have to make sure you don't get injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really not easy to do. So, you know, what is it? I mean, you've already talked about some things. Like if you're driving 17 hours, you're gonna to have to stretch. You're gonna to have to, you know, use compression socks. You're gonna to have to do some things to sort of prevent that buildup of an inflammatory cycle that can lead to an overtraining injury, even from something 
like a long drive or a series of days in the car or something. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are your kind of secret weapons or strategies that you use to recover faster, decrease your risk of an overtraining injury when you're really training or doing multiple events? Yeah, I think the, from the multiple event standpoint, um, in between races is definitely, uh, it's a learned thing, especially spending a lot of time in the car or time yeah. on planes and that sort of thing. You know, we fly out places and then, you know, we have a race on Sunday and then we got to turn back around and fly and get back to work kind of thing. Um, You know, I've found the compression socks work very well, tights work very well, and then getting up and moving around. So, you know, if we're driving, it's like every hour we stop somewhere and just stretch my legs, just walk around real quick and just because I know the dangers of those kinds of clots and that sort of thing that can happen from like, all right, I just, you know busted myself for four and a half hours and now I'm just going to sit and do nothing like that's not ideal um but from from a training aspect I think I'm and this is definitely a a lesson that took me a while to learn is I'm okay with just you know not running because something doesn't feel right like I trust my body enough now or like you know there's been times where I'll get out and I'll run around the block. You know, it's probably like after a race trying to recover and get ready for the next one. Cause you know, basically once I finish the race, it's all right, the next day is let's start thinking about the next race and what my training is going to entail there. And a couple of days after the race, just going, all right, let's get out and I'll go out and I may make it a block and go, you know what? Something doesn't feel like it's, it's quite right yet. Let's just go home, roll it out. And, and there's, you kind of have to swallow your pride mm-hmm. and go, you know what? I made it a half a mile today. Right. And, you know, tomorrow we'll try again or, or give it an extra day and then try again there. Um, I think, I think that's a lot of it. I think some people have this um, pride of themselves that they can't admit that they're hurt, yeah. whether it's something they don't want to because of they've trained too hard to get somewhere or something right. like that. But I think a lot of it happens in the, after the fact, I mean, people do one of two things. They either sit on the couch and don't do anything. And kind of just say, well, I fit my hit my goal, and you know, I'm already trained enough that I can do it again another time. Which, unless you get to a point where you're doing multiple year, four years, that's that's really the only time that happens. Right. Um, or people say, I need to get right back at it. I didn't, I didn't hit my goal I wanted to hit. I wanted to get back at it, and that's exactly what happened to me in um, 2011. I ran my first marathon, Flying Pig Marathon, mm-hmm. and I was a, a pacer for a local uh, running company, Columbus Running Company. Um, and I was a pacer for their 830 group. So around 330, 340 was going to be my goal pace for um, the marathon. Get out there um, and end up running a 505 wow. because I, I fell apart. And like you're carrying the sign for like 830, right? <laughs> well, luckily it wasn't pacing during the race. That's yeah, it, was, right. it was just pacing, but it was pacing all of the training runs. Like I hit yeah. 20 miles, no issue. I hit every single long run, no issue. And then I get to this and I like bonk and, the first thing I was like, all right, I don't know what happened, but we're going to get after it again. Yeah. And I ended up with an IT band injury, right. hip, hip flexor issues and all this stuff from overtraining because I went from never running within a year doing a marathon, which is already crazy enough, and then saying I'm going to push harder. And then the next year, I wasn't able to do the race. And I couldn't do another race until 2013 because I had this like thing in my mind that I was like, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get it done. I'm just going to ignore that pain because it's not, it's not actual pain. It's just discomfort. And I know that's a very fine line. And I think that just comes with experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you spend enough time out on, on the road or on the bike or, or in the pool rather even, um, you know, when something doesn't feel right yeah. and you can, all right, this is a little more than I'm just uncomfortable. This right. is an actual problem. And, and you need to have the, the right mindset of it's okay to stop at right. that point. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a fine line between, you know, um, having the mental fortitude to make it through and push through in times of discomfort and the flip side of that, which is like having the capacity to recognize some limiting issue and admit that you got to address it without saying you threw in the towel. You know? Right. And uh, I mean, because all I do is treat injured runners and I talk to injured runners, I lecture about injured, you know, running injuries at medical conferences and stuff. It's all I think about. And so, you know, when I've had these things that would definitely turn into something like Achilles tendonitis or a plantar plate sprain or a stress fracture or tendonitis or whatever, like I know what they are. But I also, I mean, it's been really fortunate for me truthfully because I get to feel them and then I actually relate what I feel to what other injured athletes have said. And the most important part about that is in almost every case, when somebody has an Achilles tendon issue that they've had for months, 
And I asked them, well, what did it feel like initially? And they said, well, it feels like this really weird, you know, kind of like a, a rubber band or a sock or something around the tendon. Well, how long did you feel that? I don't know, a few months. Like, well, didn't you think that was weird? You know, I mean, and, and so like when you talk to them and they kind of say it out loud, it seems a little absurd that they just right. ignored it. And that now they've actually completely wrecked the rest of their year because they did ignore it for so long. Yet with the exact same thing, if you recognized it initially and you listened to your body and you recognize it, not as, I mean, let's face it, you do a raise, something's going to hurt somewhere, but that mm -hmm. goes away in a day or two, right? It doesn't hang out for weeks. And, and that weeks thing turns into an exponential problem later. But I think it is that thing, that mental thing you talk about where people want to feel like they have to admit that they're a failure or that they're not strong enough or something because they got injured. But, you know, that's just something that happens as a consequence of training. It doesn't mean you're a failure at all. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a part of the sport. I mean, those yeah. things happen. It's, you know, it's, it's weird that we have that idea with running, but yet you look at professional athletes in any other sport. And if people get injured, you're like, Oh, well that happens. It, you know, whether it's right. football or baseball, or whatever. And it's a thing. And you're like, do you realize the, the, the amount of quote unquote damage? I mean, I don't think it's, it's not harmful for us, but that what we're doing to our bodies during these times when we're doing these physical activities is we're definitely putting our body through a lot of stress, mm -hmm. just like anything else, but we're doing it for a long period of time in, in like a condensed area. That's right. And it's like when people don't realize that, you know, it's, I've had, I've had bicep issues and like, how'd you hurt your bicep when running? It's like, cause I wasn't running right. That's how I did it. You know, <laughs> there's, yep. there's a lot of things and people don't, people look at the other sports and go, Hey, I understand how they can get injuries, but how can you, you're yeah. just running, you know? And it's like, well, then that's when you invite them out to a, to a group run. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's true though. It's like, we don't, you know, people don't fault themselves in other sports. Like I was working with a woman that was on the U S ski team. Right. So, you know, she crashed and, and broke her ankle and had to have surgery to put it back together. And nobody, not her, no one would go, oh, wow, you broke your ankle. You're such a loser. You know, but we tell ourselves, oh, I got a stress fracture. I'm such a loser. I'm not going to be able to do my race. If I don't do my race, everybody's going to think that I'm, you know, a quitter. And it's these crazy labels that we attach to the injuries that we get that are really part of the sport. I mean, you go water skiing, you're going to get wet. If you run long enough, you're going to get some kind of overtraining injury. And if you don't, you really aren't pushing your progress. Right. You know, I mean, I remember in rock climbing many, many, many years ago, someone told me, if you're not falling, you're not going to improve, yeah. you know, because you're not pushing yourself. And it's the same with running injuries. If you're always basically right below your threshold for injury, if you're really training at your maximum capacity, it's just, Kind of trying to recognize in your own body, like when you've crossed that line, you need to back off a little bit to let it recover. So, you know, that really is the, uh, the big key, key piece. So, you know, um, I mean, I'm curious right now, like I know you've got all of this chaos, all the races are canceled and stuff, but what are you really working toward right now? Is there something you sort of have, um, you know, that you've kind of like restructured in your brain in terms of like what's keeping you focused right now? Or are you basically like, I'm not going to think about it at all? until there are races on the calendar like what's your sort of mental process right now about what's going on with races um I'm boston's still still the plan um if if all goes right though all the races i got postponed are going to be after boston yeah. um so boston is still going to be the next one up so I'm, I'm kind of thinking of it there i've taken a not a reset on my training but kind of a step back from it um i do hansen's training method because i found it works best for me um, that breakdown of, of how they do their speed workouts and that sort of thing. Um, so, so with it, I'm basically doing like a week, a week of hard, a week of not, and kind of just doing a maintaining thing where I'm not going to kill myself, you know, pushing this for another 20 weeks or whatever the case might be, because that, yeah. that would just be absurd. Um, but also, you know, getting things done, but we you know what we did, uh, a buddy, two buddies of mine, and I went out Saturday and did 15 and it was like, we hit like this long gradual hill that, um, it's just annoying and we got to it and we're like let's just power walk it like we're not yeah. training for, like we're having fun out here we're, we're having it's it's more about the community aspect of it you know well we were six feet apart though I'll say that no we yeah. weren't six feet apart um, <laughs> but it's it's yeah Boston is still the uh, it's still the thing on my mind and, and if anything this is allowing me to to get a little stronger put a little more cross training in 
can't go to a gym. So my wife does like daily burn and stuff like that. So I'm trying to do some of those to kind of strengthen my core, strengthen the glutes and hips and that sort of thing to, to be able to push a little harder. And who knows, maybe I'll, maybe I'll um, stretch the goal a little bit and try to go a little faster. But that's definitely something that'll probably be more of a end of May, June conversation, yeah. knowing the race is, is pushed back to September now. So yeah, still Boston. Okay. That sounds great. Now of all the races you've done so far, if you had a friend who basically said, okay, I'm going to start doing marathons, Jonathan, I know you've done a lot of marathons. Uh, which one should I do? Like, I'm only going to do one. I don't really like running. I just want to do a marathon. I want to have a good experience. I want it to be memorable. I want it to be fun. Whatever the, the measure is like out of all the ones you've ever done, if you're going to recognize, you know, recommend that race to a friend as to be the one marathon you actually do, what would it be? And why? That's a, t- that's a tough one. Just each race has its own, like his own thing, yeah. you know? And, and I, I break it down to this people. It's like, even though people ask for one, I end up giving them like four. Cause I break it down into like categories and yeah. you kind of hit a couple of them. You said a few things like, was it most memorable? I want to be the most fun. And I have different ones for each one of those. I say the most fun and it's probably, it's probably my number one overall um, was New York. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that's, that's, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. Like that's in an atmosphere like no other. Um, my, my grandmother, my grandparents live in New York, used to grow up going to New York all the time. <clears throat> so kind of being in that area and knowing what I was running by and then knowing the importance of the race, just as I started to get more and more into running, um, that kind of just rung as a, a real bucket list race. And luckily I got in like on the second or third try on the lottery. So that was super nice. But then you have like most memorable is, you know, I, I, I got a PR at the Publix Marathon in Atlanta now is right. Atlanta it's a, it's a good race. It's a hilly race. It's a tough one. <clears throat> is there much to see? Probably not. I probably wouldn't recommend it to someone if you want to see like a sightsee, but it's memorable to me because of the PR. And then, yeah. um, we have like the most beautiful races, you know, Big Sur is obviously one of those that are just like, this is beautiful, but I mean, I've also ran Maui and it's like, right. well, it's hard, it's hard to argue when you're watching like sea turtles and dolphins next to you while you're running. And then, and in Alaska, I ran in Juneau and mm. running next to a glacier and you're just like, well, there's bald eagles flying overhead. And you're like, what? Like, this isn't real life. Yeah, right. Um, so usually when people ask me that kind of question, uh, like you did, I usually give those couple answers or find out like what they want out of a race. Um, you know, the flying pig being my first, if someone wants the best crowd support they're ever going to get from a race, the flying pig marathon in Cincinnati is it right. super small, but you know, they pack the streets and you don't have like that big city kind of New York feel, but people truly care about you. Um, you know, kids outside with making their own aid stations and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I could tell stories about every single race, but I would say if I had to pick one granddaddy of them all, it would probably be New York. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's interesting to bring up the flying pig because I've heard so many friends of mine that live in different states talk about the flying pig. It's like everybody, even if you haven't done it, it seems like everyone knows that race, you know? Yeah, uh, and it's only been around for, I want to say like 15, 16 years, maybe a little longer now. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, all right, so let's talk about you know some mental flexibility and uh, and intention setting because right now obviously we could all use a lot of that. And you know you've talked a little bit about that already. That you know sometimes plans plans change. You just have to do something different. You have to make a shift, pick a different direction, pick a different race. You know sometimes you're lucky enough that a race is canceled and there's literally like another one you could do the next weekend or something where you don't have to like you know waste all of your training. Um, and, and you can just do something else, but that's not always the case. So, you know, what about that? Uh, maybe you could share with everybody listening about, you know, just intentionality for runners in general or, you know, intentional setting and, um, sort of goal redirection when you're not when like necessarily a situation like right now, which is totally unpredictable, but when the predictable happens and something goes horribly wrong in your training, you know, you get a work commitment and then you do something stupid and stack some workouts together and you know you've got an injury and you really have to adjust mentally I think it's very very difficult for runners and I and I would argue that probably 75 percent of the runners who call me for a consultation do so because that's exactly what happened they had either their coach or themselves had put all these things on the calendar and every day they stare at them and they imagine they will complete them. They do all this sort of proper intention setting regarding, you know, visualization of the workouts and, and doing that and putting in the work. 
And then when something goes sideways, they erroneously believe that they have to do all of those workouts. And so if they have to compress them to complete them, they do. And then they get injured. So, you know, in that part, it's like letting go of a workout and realizing you're not going to fail to finish your marathon if you skip one long run. You're not going to fail to finish on time if you skip one speed session. So I was hoping you could just share, you know, that part of intention setting uh, and mental shifts, you know, with our audience here. Yeah. I mean, I think it all goes back to that perspective thing and kind of swallowing your pride, probably a little bit of both. Because mm. if you have the right perspective on what's the purpose, what's your, what is your purpose in this goal? You know, the goals have to be individualized. It has to mean something to you. There's so many times where I know when I did this, when I started doing the 50 state things, I really had to take a hard look and go, why do I want to do this? Like, what does this actually mean to me? And to me, it's more than just the running. You know, it's building the community. It's visiting these places, seeing places of the country that I would never do. I usually pick on Birmingham, Alabama. I'm sorry for anyone that lives in Birmingham, Alabama. But I'm like, why else would I go to Birmingham, Alabama? Yeah. There's no reason for me to go to Birmingham, Alabama. But there was a race there and it was on Valentine's Day and it was 27 degrees. And my wife stood outside and, and took pictures of me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's those kinds of things of you have to find what is your why behind the goal? I think that is like the first and foremost thing you should do because if you don't have a why and know what that purpose is, you're not going to be intentional in anything you do. You're just going to be going through the motions and just getting things done, checking things off the list. And I don't, I don't want anything I do, whether it's running or anything in life, to feel like I'm just checking something off the list, you know, just going through the motions. Uh, not running related at all. My wife and I, um, we had a four-bedroom house, 2,500 square feet in the suburbs of Columbus. And, you know, we had this huge house. We had all these things because that's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to get married and we were supposed to get a house and then we were supposed to start a family. And then we decided, you know, we, 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 we don't want kids. Um, so then we we're like, well, why do we need this big house? Well, let's, let's sell the house. And then we started like, well, why do we need this? Why do we do that? And all of a sudden everything's changing. And in that process, I've, I've got a new job. I started working for a new company because I started thinking about what was my purpose and, and what were the things that I was doing? Was that getting me to that? So full circle, the intention setting of knowing your goal, knowing your why is so important because it'll keep you moving forward when these things happen. You know, obviously something like this that's completely unprecedented and we're, and we're not expecting at all, you know, those you can't really plan for. But if you have the right mindset, you could be like, all right, I've just got more time or whatever the case might be like we talked earlier. But in certain situations, I've had races where I'm, we're driving to the race and we get a flat tire and it puts us behind six hours. Um, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm getting down on myself. I don't know what's happening. I ended up running my first negative split at that marathon Wow! because, because it was one of those things where it's like, all right, I had to, to change that perspective and know like, hey, things happen. You got to embrace the suck. Right. Things are going to happen to you. It's not going to be fun. You know, did I want Boston to get moved? No, I didn't. But you know what? It did. And if we don't have that right perspective that links back to our why, we kind of lose track of the purpose of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I would say like anyone feeling that of like, um, they just don't know where to go. They don't know what they're doing. They feel kind of lost in this season as far as their running and training is concerned. I just, I think you should just sit down and you get a notebook. I have a notebook at my desk and I just, I write down like my why. Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? Yeah. If you can define that why, you're going to find it there and you go, okay, no, this is why I'm doing it. Whether it's to raise money for a charity if you're doing fundraising or to complete a goal or to you know run with someone else help somebody run their first marathon or half marathon or even 5k it doesn't matter what you're doing i think it's just so important to know your why um because if we don't know why we're doing something why are we even doing it yeah right no that's a good point i mean you do have to understand why i mean my um you know, my practice, like I, I, I don't do the normal thing, right? Like I only work with runners. I don't take insurance. I do phone consults, webcam consults, whatever. I, but I work with all runners and I like it. But that didn't come by accident. You know, I actually did this exercise where I had like kind of like you, like having the normal house with this normal approach to life and, you know, living in the suburbs and this is what Americans do and so on. And you, you just kind of wind up there. And I did the same thing where I had, you know, I had like a normal medical practice. I hated it. I would see runners. I had no time to spend with them because I would see 30 or 40 people a day. And I, I did this exercise where I, uh, and I, I truthfully don't, it wasn't my idea. I just don't remember where I got it. But I, 
for every day for a week, I basically sat down with a legal pad a half an hour before I went to bed, like literally in bed for half an hour. I had two columns, what I like about medicine and surgery and what I hate about medicine and surgery. And for the first week, every night, and then as soon as I'd wake up in the morning, I'd make coffee, I'd sit in a chair and I would try to like fill out these columns. Like, what do I like and what do I hate? And then after a week, I basically spent the next week trying to figure out how do I set up my life so I only do things in this column and I don't ever do those things again. So when somebody calls me and said, hey, will you, you know, write a letter to my insurance company? I'm like, not for a million dollars. No, I will not call your insurance company. Like, never. I would, I would flip houses before I would do that, you know? And I'm very clear now. I'm like, I like to talk to runners. I don't really care how. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it's in person or over webcam or whatever, but I don't want to work with people who aren't athletic because I like to see people go through a struggle and achieve their goals. And you have to have a reason why you're doing something. You have to have a reason to go to Alabama, right? I mean, right. I mean that, so it's interesting you brought that up too, because that was my, my very first marathon was actually, it was then called the Mercedes Marathon. I don't know if it yeah. still is, but. Yep, no, the Mercedes. Yeah, so you get like this huge Mercedes emblem thing, makes you look like a rap star or something as a metal. The funny thing is, is, is I worked, I worked for BMW when I went to that race. So like, people were funny because I was taking pictures with the medals, and all of my coworkers were like, "Take that thing off! Take that thing off!" I'm like, I mean, it's nice, so I'm, I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. But um, you know, uh, you have to have a reason, you know, and and I know you have lots of reasons personally, and you know, and also sort of like. Uh, I know that you're really behind the Boston Medical Center, right? And that's one of the reasons that you're doing a lot of the stuff that you do. And I know you've done some fundraising for them. I know you have some uh, stuff about fundraising on your website for the Boston Medical Center. I was hoping you could just talk about that and, you know, kind of share that part of your why, you know, with everybody listening right now. Yeah. So kind of to to play into the Boston thing, um, we talked a little bit about you were walking with someone and meeting someone during that race. Um, that's exactly how I ended up with the Boston Marathon. You know, there's a lot of charities that that go into the Boston Marathon, and um, and I didn't want to just. I knew I wanted to run Boston as as my mass race, and I just was like, ah, tr- getting to to qualify for it is going to be really tough, um, just because obviously it keeps getting tougher every year, and yeah. like I just I. To be honest, I'm just lazy and I don't want to put that much time in to, to do it. I mean, I feel like I probably could do it, but the amount of extra sacrifice it would be with, you know, with a wife, a full-time job, you know, a couple full-time jobs, a um, bunch of side projects and stuff. So, but I was in um, uh, Newport, Rhode Island uh, this past October running their race, which is a beautiful race. If anyone has an opportunity to do that race, it's in October. It's gorgeous out there. Um, but I was running and, and met a lady and just started talking to her and found out she ran with Team BMC the year before and loved it. And we were just chatting about my Hangry Race series and just my um, need to want to help those with the issue of hunger and that sort of thing. And she goes, I'm going to send some emails and we'll get you, we'll get you on the team kind of thing. And I'm just like, okay, I'm thinking like, blowing hot steam just to get me through the rest of this race. And we actually got, she had never run under five hours. She had run three oh, marathons wow. under five hours. And I'm like, well, we're going to get you there. Let's make it happen. Um, uh, so we did that. And then a few days later, I emailed this lady just saying like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe you forgot, maybe you didn't. And then within a week I'm on team BMC. Wow. Um, but I, I did my own little research with them first and they, uh, they not only support the greater Boston area, they, they really have sister hospitals all over the country, but their idea is they don't just um, serve the community in their hospital, which they take everyone in. It's one of those where we're going to help people and we'll figure out the cost later kind of thing. We want to make sure people are healthy. Um, yeah. They also go out of the got into the community and serve there as well. So they have food pantries, they have community kitchens, they have all these things where they're serving those living with the issue of hunger in that greater Boston community. And I was like, well, that, that sparks me 100% with all of my hangry stuff. So I'm like, I'm on board with these guys. I didn't want to just sign up for a charity just for charity's sake. I wanted it to actually mean something for me. So when I'm wearing that singlet, it means something. But they have this um, vision called the Vision 2030 where they want Boston to be the healthiest urban population by 2030. And it's a pretty cool thing. And when I'm telling people about it, they're like, well, you don't live in Boston. Like, why am I going to give you money for something? Like, you live in Columbus. Like, why do we care about Boston? I'm like, well, you realize this is as they make these strides and they learn how to make this happen, 
it's not like it's going to be stuck to only Boston. <laughs> you know I mean, it's not like those kind of things just stay right there. Th right. Those ideas are going to spread and people are going to catch on to that. And other metropolitan areas are going to pick it up to help their urban population. Right. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. Tell me what you need. So yeah, we uh, started fundraising for that uh, at the end of last year. Um, with all this stuff, it kind of slowed down uh, with the fundraising, but I did like a, I, I'm one of those people where I like to put my money where my mouth is and like, you know, for lack of a better term, some, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's just stupid ideas. And my stupid idea this time was I was going to run on a track for six hours and have people donate per lap that I ran on a track. Um, so I ran uh, just over 31 miles, ran just over a 50K in the six hours in a loop and an oval. And I had some people come out and it was raining, it was raining slash snow. Um, but we raised... We raised like 900 bucks and then someone else was able to match it. And then we put some more money in and it ended up being like a $3,000 fundraiser because wow. of it. And like it's like, and I tell people, it's like, I don't, I don't want to just send you an email and say, Hey, right. give me money kind of thing. I want to earn this. It's, it's right. not about you handing me money because in all honesty, I could just write the check yeah. and say, you know what, this is our donation and this is what we're doing. But I'm like, you know what? I want people to be invested in it mm -hmm. because I believe is if you're invested in something and you seem to care about it more, you know? all of our money that's in the stock market right now, I haven't seen so many people care about the stock market <laughs> in the last few months. They probably had no idea they even had a 401k, right. but now they're like, wait, I have 401k and why does it keep going down? And yeah. it's like, well, now you care because you're invested in it. You realize the investment. Mm -hmm. And if we invest in people that um, are, are living with the issue of hunger or homeless or any of those things, all these problems are solvable. Yeah. Um, but if you're not invested in it, you just look the other way. Cause it's not, it's not usually in your backyard. Right. That's totally true. I mean, that's really it. It's all about the purpose, right? And uh, and obviously, you behave and act and portray yourself as somebody actually moving forward with purpose. With your even with your fifty states effort, I mean, you really like you you show the information to people. You have a map of it. It's like it's interesting how much you know how transparent you are with all of those things. And you know, and along those same lines, of course, your your podcast. You know, the run with purpose, right? Um, so. I, I was hoping you could talk about like where that came from. Like when you decided to start that podcast, like what was the idea that came to you and how did you come about it? Yeah. So the idea I actually had drawn up, I, I make designs and stuff like that, whether it's for hangry or for some personal stuff. I like, I like designing things and just making hats and t-shirts and stuff like that. Just have like my own custom label things. And I, I had this like thought of running with purpose and I made this logo and I probably made this like three or four years ago. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm like, I just like it. It's a pretty cool concept. It's like running, running with purpose. And after my last podcast had ended, I was like, you know, I still felt like I had more to say. And I was like, but I want it to be more than just like two guys just talking about running. Right. Like there has to be more to it. Because I think running to me has been an avenue of, I've been able to, you know, get involved with organizations such as, you know, creating the Hangry Race series, but then talking to other food pantries or meeting other people now with the podcast, talking to people across the world um, about these kinds of things. And, and it's really a, running your life with purpose and intentionality, but I'm using running as the catalyst to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I have people on that are in leadership. I have authors, I have people, I have fitness folks in here and I have people that have never run before ever. And it's really just getting their, their, their mindset and understanding like what drives you because we're all kind of wired in that way. There's something that we have this desire that something is pulling us towards. Well, what is that? I want to, I want to talk about that and find out how maybe if I say something, it can kind of inspire someone to do a little more. A lot of my episodes on my show are usually just me talking by myself, you know, as you would know, just like staring into the abyss, trying to like have a conversation with yourself. Um, but I'll just write, you know, simple notes. The notes that I write for my podcast are usually just like single word lines, might have 20, 30 words on it. And, and it's really just me being honest and talking. And it's like, you know what, whatever comes out of my mouth, that's what it is. And if, if something helps you, that's, that's the best for me. I love when I get um, emails or, or, or on Instagram that say like, hey, you said this one thing and that's exactly what I needed to hear yeah. today. And like, and it doesn't even matter if it's a running related thing or not, or if they're a runner, yeah. if they're not, it's super helpful. We had a, had a lady on the show that um, I had met her. So I do a lot of stalking on Instagram. So like after I do a race, I'll like find who else did that race yeah. and then just look to be like, hey, do they have a cool story to tell? Because I'll talk to you. Why not? Or if I meet someone during the race and she was like the uh, president of the, um, 
like an animal association in West Virginia and, and her area and stuff like that, uh, like a shelter thing. And I was like, that's where I'm looking for shelters. Um, but then more I was talking to her, I also found out she was a victim of domestic violence. Oh, wow. And I'm like, and, and then, you know, the episode was supposed to start talking about, she also has a, a, um, a child on the, the autism spectrum. So it's like hearing all these things, I'm like, well, I just want to talk about your running and how you're able to do this with everything. And it took a hard right turn on domestic violence and that whole thing. And I had multiple people reaching out to me that have nothing to do with running or not running people at all had found this from that channel and said, you know what, I, I'd like that you had her on the show and you let her talk and you let her tell her story and you didn't interrupt it. You didn't try to explain it or, or you know, try to just be, oh, poor you kind of situation. It's you let her honestly talk. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's the point of this show. Mm-hmm. The show's not about me. And that's why I love when I have guests or even the opportunity, thanks again for having me, is, is being able to share other people's stories that may not have the platform like I do. I just have a microphone and a soundboard. Yeah. That's it. That's the only thing that's, that differentiates me from some other people and that I'm willing to have these conversations. Yeah. It's sometimes I might, I might say stupid things. I might come across and sound stupid, but you know what? I'm getting out here doing it. And it's just like, it's, it circles back to running is if you don't try, you're never going to know. I had a friend, um, I'll call her out. Her name's Paige. I'm going to tell her to listen. Uh, she, she said she wasn't a runner. She was like, I can't run. And I was like, Hey, you're going to sign up for my 5k. She was cool couldn't make the 5k from a work scheduling kind of situation. Um, and then, you know, but she was training and she was ready. And I go, all right, 5k was in April. I go, I think you can run the half marathon in the fall. She's like, no way. I can't do 13 miles. I'm like, mm, I'm pretty sure you can trained her, build it, help to help to get her training plan, did it half marathon in the fall. And I was like, okay, next, the next spring, I was like, how do you feel about a marathon in the fall? She's like, there's no way, there's no way I could do double that. And I remember meeting her at like mile 16 of the marathon and she is just like giving it all she has and I ran with her for like two miles and then afterwards she goes I'm so glad you pushed me to run that first time because if you wouldn't have pushed me to do that first time like she's she's telling me like all these things that are changing in her life like personally and then fitness wise and all this stuff that has changed because I I just pushed her in that direction and that's what I hope my podcast does is kind of teaches people to get comfortable with discomfort to really find out how dig you, how deep you can dig. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's crucial. You, and your podcast does that. It's like, you can hear it. It's like the episodes are so encouraging, so uplifting, so positive, and it's all these different directions. And you never really know who it's going to affect. You really know, never know how it's going to affect them. Right. And I was, I was actually at a, I think it was a conference one time, but I heard a speaker and he said, you know, you know, he said, everybody in life has their own story. Everybody has their purpose. And most people never share like what they're struggling with, what their purpose is, or what their special talent is. And he said, you know, the truth is that we as human beings, our, our mission in life really should be to like look at each person and realize that, you know, like when you were a kid, there was somebody in your life, your grandmother, your, you know, your uncle, your mom, your dad, whoever it was, your, you know, somebody who, you know, maybe it was a teacher, but someone who actually recognized what was special in, and talented in you. But as adults, that seems to get lost. And, and he said, you know, our sort of our role for everybody is to, is to make sure that when we have those opportunities to, to see something in somebody and encourage them, that's really our purpose as humans. And, you know, and it's just, you never know. So, you know, again, it's like you have somebody on the show, you start talking about domestic violence, and you may, you know, create an avenue and an outlet for somebody that, never would have gotten it otherwise, you know, and that these things just happen, not necessarily by accident, but it seems that way. And I mean, I think your show really does that. It's a great show. I think everybody listening to this should check it out. We'll certainly have links to it, all your social media links, everything on the show notes at docontherun.com under the podcast tab uh, so that they can all check it out. And Jonathan, really grateful you were able to take time out of your schedule uh, to do this and really to share your deeper insights and, you know, and even some of the stuff about, you know, your purpose and like realizing you don't have to do things just because other people do it. You can do it the way you want to do it and it's okay. And it, and it may encourage people to do uh, things and set goals that they would not have actually come up with on their own had they not seen your story. So we'll put all the links there about your, if we can put your fundraising page for the you know, Boston Medical Center. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. Cool. And, but we'll also have links directly to your page with all of those things as well. So any other final pieces of advice for those people who are uh, trying to figure out what direction they're picking right now, what they're going to do next, what would you tell them? 
go back to it, you know, get that notebook, find your why. I think that's the biggest thing. If you find your why, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely guide your, your next steps, especially in a season like this where, I mean, most of us just have time right now. You know, my wife is losing her mind sitting on the couch because she can't work right now. She works in the dental office, so she can't, she can't be in the office now. So, uh, but yeah, you know, find your why, write it down, you know, put it on your computer, put it on post-it notes, put it on your mirror, uh, and just live towards that. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's great advice. Well, listen, Jonathan, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to share your thoughts with us today. I truly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Before you go, I just want to mention one other thing. If you have an overtraining injury, if you think you have an overtraining injury, if you've been recovering from an injury, the most important thing you can do is track your pain. I've written a couple of books on this. I've provided a lot of information on podcasts about this. But the one thing you really need to do more than any other is stay focused and do something specific every day to make sure that you understand whether or not what you're doing is making you better or worse. And that all starts with tracking your pain. So go to the show notes for this episode, download the pain journal. I made it for you. It's the runner's pain journal. It shows you exactly what to track, what you should chart, and then you can use that to see whether or not your condition is actually really improving or if it's not. And if it's not, then you have to do something different. But if it is improving, that helps you understand how you can start ramping up your activity so you can keep running and get back to all of your running goals a whole lot faster. Go check it out. Go to the show notes, stockontherun.com. It's free and you can get it there now. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.